Exodus 5, chapter, verses 1 to 21. Exodus 5. It says this. It says, Afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go, so that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God, or he may strike us with plagues or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their labor? Get back to your work. Then Pharaoh said, Look, the people of the land are now numerous, and you are stopping them from working. That same day, Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and overseers in charge of the people. You are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw. But they require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They are lazy. And that is why they are crying out. Let us go and sacrifice to our God. Make the work harder for the people so that they keep working and pay no attention to lies. Then the slave drivers and the overseers went out and said to the people, This is what Pharaoh says. I will not give you any more straw. Go and get your own straw wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced at all. So the people scattered all over Egypt to gather stubble to use for straw. The slave drivers kept pressing them, saying, Complete the work required for you for each day, just as when you had straw. And Pharaoh's slave drivers beat the Israelite overseers they had appointed, demanding, Why haven't you met your quota of bricks yesterday or today as before? Then the Israelite overseers went and appealed to Pharaoh. Why have you treated your servants this way? Your servants are given no straw, yet we are told, make bricks. Your servants are being beaten, but the fault is with your own people. Pharaoh said, lazy, that's what you are, lazy. That is why you keep saying, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Now get to work. You will not be given any straw. Yet you must produce your full quota of bricks. The Israelite overseers realized they were in trouble when they were told, You are not to reduce the number of bricks required for you each day. When they left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them, and they said, May the Lord look on you and judge you. You have made us obnoxious to Pharaoh and his officials, and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Well, good morning, everyone. It's, it's great to be here. My name's Pastor James. Keep your Bibles open there to Exodus uh, chapter 5 as we continue our series um, in this book as we get to know who God is. It's great to be back. Last weekend, I had the joy of going away with the young adults from this church um, on a young adults retreat. And can I just let you know, it was a very encouraging weekend. But can I also remind us here at Toon Gabby, here's one thing to remember. It is easy to come and sit in these chairs. It's easy to sit in aircon and comfort. But be reminded, actually, Jesus says, go and make disciples. Now, it's costly. We looked at last weekend that to make disciples is costly, it's committed, and it's relational. And so can I encourage all of us that we're here to make disciples of every generation, kids, youth, young adults, middle-aged people, and the elderly. 
So let's be reminded that that's what we're here to do. And let's, let's let God speak to us now as well as we come to his word. So please join me as we pray. Heavenly Father, we ask now that you will make yourself known to us. Father, speak to our hearts. May your spirit work powerfully in our lives so that as we go out this week, we may, we may doubt, but may we not be dismayed. Help us to see that, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Last year, um, before this, it's, it's funny, you, you think a mechanic you know, would be into car racing, but last year I got hooked on Formula One. So F1 racing, so that's where cars, they race around a track. And so last year I, I sort of got hooked on this motorsport. I got hooked on it from Netflix and then now I like to watch it afterwards. I don't stay up on a Sunday night, but I like to watch afterwards to watch what's happening. Now, last year it was, it was, it was a great year. You know, Lewis Hamilton was going for eight championships, but Max Verstappen wanted to, to win. And so on the 12th of December, there came down to the final, the final race, and Max Verstappen won the world. World Championships and I'm hooked and so ever since the 12th of December last year guess what I've been looking forward to this year I've been anticipating the start of the Formula One this year which actually is tonight now I was anticipating it because this year the playing field's getting leveled it's new cars new designs a few players have moved around and so for the last couple of months I'm, I, this anticipation has been building you know, who's going to win, how fast they're going to be. I'm hoping Daniel Ricciardo might find some form, the, the, the Australian from WA. I have this sense of anticipation and I'm looking forward to tomorrow seeing what plays out tonight on the 20th of March at Formula One. Do you ever feel, do you have that sense of anticipation sometimes? You know, you, you're a young boyfriend and girlfriend, you're engaged, and there's that sense of anticipation for the wedding day. You cannot wait to see what that day will bring. Is, and and you, you've got this hope, you've got this vibe of it's going to be a great and wonderful day. Maybe you feel anticipating that after a four-year degree, you've done your honours, you've got your degree, there's an anticipation of going, here's my first day of work, what's it going to be like? You know, the, the, the six-year-old kid at Christmas time who's waiting for a month, Christmas Eve, they can't sleep with this anticipation of tomorrow. Maybe you've just said yes to Jesus, and there's this sense of, Man, I can't wait to tell my family. I can't wait to tell my co-workers. I can't wait till we have our next family meal where we gather around the table and I get to tell them about Jesus. Anticipation. Or, you know, or maybe you're here for the first time. You're a visitor. You're here as a newcomer for the first time. Maybe you've got a sense of anticipation as well. I wonder what Turngabby Baptist Church is all about. Who are they? A sense of anticipation. But I wonder as a church though as well, as a whole, as Toon Gabby Baptist Church, I wonder do we have a sense of anticipation? Do we sort of, yeah, we know we're here on mission, we know we're here to make disciples and we're sort of keen to reach Sydney and beyond and we have this sense of anticipation as a whole. As we come to today's passage, I think there's a sense of anticipation here from the people of God. As we get to chapter 5, we've got to set the scene. There's, there's a sense of excitement. You know, so far leading up to chapter 5 of Exodus, if you haven't been with us, go back and check up and catch up online. But what you're going to see is, yes, they, 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 they had plenty of kids. That was exciting. Pharaoh got worried. 
And so dark days came in, oppression and tyranny came upon the people of God. Killed the firstborn son. Horrible, horrible days. Then we have Moses who's put in a basket in the river Nile. But then he gets found by Pharaoh's daughter and he eventually becomes the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Who grows up, he's educated, he's, he's a man among the Egyptians. But what happens? It gets dark. And what does Moses do? He kills someone, he murders someone. And so what happens with, with Moses? He's rejected and he's got to run. He flees and he flees to the wilderness and he marries a, a girl and he tends to... He tends the sheep in the wilderness for 40 years. It's not exactly, exactly, exactly exciting from the, from the palace of Egypt. But then in a sense though, Moses is an 80-year-old washed up man and the God of the universe speaks to him and says, I am who I am. And what does the God of the universe say to him? You're going to go to Egypt and you're going to tell Pharaoh and he's going to let go of those people. Now it's going to be a little bit tricky, but it's going to happen. And you're going to go to the land of flowing with milk and honey. It's like we're going to be rescued from this oppression, this tyranny. We're going to go to the land flowing with milk and honey. And there's sort of this, there's this light at the end of dark days. It looks like life is going to get better. And look at verse 29 of chapter 4. Moses and Aaron brought together all the elders of the Israelites and Aaron told them everything the Lord had said to Moses. He also performed the signs before the people. And guess what happened? They believed. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and they worshipped. I reckon at this point they're starting to feel a little bit pumped. God's going to take us to the land of milk and honey. We've seen these signs. We're being oppressed. We've had really, really dark days. And so Moses and Aaron head off and they encounter the most powerful man in the known world. How's this showdown going to go? What's God going to do? God is on the move. Israel sees that and they have this anticipation. And we get to verse 1. And we're going to see in verse 1, we're going to see who is the Lord. Who is the Lord? Have a look at verse 1. So afterwards, Moses and Aaron, that afterward could be a period of a bit of time. We're not sure how long it is, but it's not just straight up. But afterwards, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, This is what the Lord, or I'll say Yahweh, the God of Israel says. Let my people go so that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. Verse 2, Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord? Who is Yahweh that I should obey him and let the Israelites go? I do not know the Lord and I will not let Israel go. And they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God or he may strike us with plagues or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said, Look what he says. Moses and Aaron why are you taking the people away from their labor? Get back to work. Get back to your work. And then Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are now numerous and you are stopping them from working. See, Pharaoh asks a very important question. Who is Yahweh? Because a name is significant. Remember back a couple of weeks ago to Exodus chapter 3? The name of Yahweh is significant. See, the Lord, capital L-O-R-D in the Old Testament, is, is translated from I am who I am. I will be who I will be. I am who I will be. We saw a couple of weeks that there's no past or future, but God is eternal. See, God is not dependent on anything or anyone, unlike you and me. We saw that God is self-existing, self-sufficient. And so here... 
a name is very, very significant. And Pharaoh asks, well, who is this Yahweh? Who is it? Because a name has significance, doesn't it? It has authority. It, has, it, it, it can bring things about depending on the name. A couple, of, a couple of weeks ago, it was late at night, we got a knock on our door, the police turn up. We were in a new house, cops turn up and they knock on the door. Luckily, don't worry, we've done nothing. It's okay, you don't have to worry about your pastor. But something had happened down the road and they just wanted to come and have a chat to see whether we'd seen something happen. Now, imagine me at 2am in the morning, having, pushing out Zeds, snoring away, and someone knocks on the door and it's little Johnny. And I'll call out, who is it knocking on the door? I'm not going to get out of bed, who is it? It's Johnny from down the road. It's like, yeah, I'm not going to get up for Johnny. You know? Someone else comes along. Who is it? It's, it's Susan. It's like, who's, who's Susan? You know? But, knock on the door. Knock, knock, knock. Who is it? It's the police. Open up. What am I going to do? I'm going to get out of bed. I'm going to jump out of bed and quickly run to the door and let the police in. See, a name is significant. You see how different names are significant in different ways. And see here, this is a very, very important question. I am, says the Lord, I am who I am. I'm in control. I'm in control of history. I'm in control of nature. I'm in control over people. I'm in control over all other gods. And so who is the Lord? See, Pharaoh asks a good question. Who is the Lord is the central question, I think, of the book of Exodus. Who is the one true God? Who is the one true deity? Who is the one who is supreme over everything else? Who is the one true true God whom we are to worship and who we are to serve? And I think the rest of the book of Exodus reveals that God who reveals himself. He's going to show us who he is through the plagues. He's going to show us that name and that character. Who is the Lord? Now, Pharaoh asks a very good question that all of us should ask you in this room. But at the same time, I think Pharaoh is being sarcastic here. It's a, it's a question that's being sarcastic, that's filled with sneering and filled with disdain. Who is the Lord? I do not know him. He's going to have no authority over my life. He's got no claim to who I am. Because see, in the, in the ancient world, the Egyptians... And it seems from history that the Egyptian pharaoh would see themselves as a god. Have a listen to this, this historical item. Now this is, this is not from the Bible, this is from history and archaeology. Can I just share with you just for a moment, I think Exodus 5, if you're here today and you're thinking, is the book of Exodus fable? Is it just a book of stories that have been made up? Can I encourage you that Exodus 5 actually helps all of us see that no, this is a historical book. Because archaeology, as we put archaeology together, as we, find more, we start to see that the things that the Bible talks about are true. And one of those things that I want to share with you just for a moment so you can be confident in that is, Pharaoh says you've got to go and find the straw to make bricks. Now some archaeology in the 19th century, guess what they found in Egypt? A man found in one corner of a building bricks made without straw. Now, we don't know. We, we can't say, did the Israelites make them or not? But there's something, the more we dig deeper, we start to find that the book of Exodus is historical. It's, it's something we can trust. It's something we can trust. But have, have a listen to this, this historical item that Ramsey II wrote. Right? This is about 12, 5, 1290 to 1224 BC. He, listen to what he writes about himself. 
He's, he, he's got a big head. Utterance of the divine king. You notice that divine king? The lord of two lands, the lord, of the, the lord from Kehab, in whose limbs is Rhea, who came forth from Re, whom and, and then Kim's, Kim's, King Ramsey II, it keeps going on, given life to his father from whom he came forth. Tadinan, father of the gods. I am thy son whom thou hast placed on thy throne. Do you, do, you, do you see in a sense here why he's being sarcastic? Who is the Lord? Like, no, 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 I'm, 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 I'm an Egyptian god. I am seen as divine. And at the same time as we see this sarcastic comment, we realize that he is ignorant of Yahweh. He's ignorant of the Lord's identity. He doesn't want to obey his authority. And as we look around the world today, we too live in a world that's ignorant of who Jesus is. They don't actually know who he is. And maybe you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus. Maybe you're checking out what Christianity is about. Maybe the reason you don't want to act on Jesus is because you haven't actually come to know the true identity of Jesus. But as, as Pharaoh goes on, I think he's making a claim to be divine. And how do we see that? Well, we see it in how he responds to Moses and Aaron. How does this, this Pharaoh respond? Well, at this point, there's anti- I think there's anticipation. We're going to be free. We're going to go to the land of milk and honey, but God is going to put that on hold because life is going to get a lot worse before it's going to get a lot better. It's going to get a lot harder before it gets a lot easier for the people of God. Have a look at verse 6. That same day, Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and overseas in charge of the people. You are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw. But require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They are lazy. That is why they are crying out, let's go and sacrifice to our God. Make the work harder for the people so that they keep working and pay no attention to lies. See, for Pharaoh, he's seeing these, this people group going, obviously, if they're coming up with these ideas about Yahweh, obviously, they're too... I'm not working them hard enough. And so what does he do? I am going to distract them. I'm going to, I'm going to make them work harder and harder and harder. See, what he's doing is that they're already making probably thousands of bricks a day. They're making so many bricks a day. Now, that is horrible work. It's dehydrating work. People die making bricks. It's not exactly the most comfortable place to be. He's already getting the most out of them, but he thinks, oh, you know what? They're being distracted by wanting to serve and worship this other God. You know what I'm going to do? They're still going to have to make the same amount of bricks, but instead of us bringing the cartloads of straw to them, they're going to have to go out and find the straw. He wants to push them. He wants to distract them. He wants to do that to distract them from serving Yahweh. Jump down to verse 17. and he, Lazy. He goes again. They're lazy. That is why you keep saying, let's go and sacrifice to the Lord. Now get to work. Now, you and me, we see that get to work and we think, oh, yeah, that's just normal. Like, you know, when you're, when you're working and someone's sitting around having a coffee and it's not smoker and it's not morning tea, you feel like saying to them, go and get to work, right? That's, that's sort of what Pharaoh is saying, but it's actually more profound and more deeper than just get back to work, you're bludging. Because, see, this word work in the Hebrew is exactly the same word that God uses in the previous chapter 
to say you're going to worship me. Elsewhere in the book of Exodus, this word, Hebrew word for work is the same word that's used for the, the people of God when they're rescued to come and to worship, to serve. See, Pharaoh's saying, you are here to serve me. See, Pharaoh has put himself in the place of God. No, no, I don't want them to get distracted because they'll, they'll, they'll serve another God. Pharaoh is saying, Israel is to serve and worship me, but God is saying, Israel is to serve and worship me. I'm going to rescue them for that. And so the question is, who will you serve? Who will you serve? He works them harder to distract them so that they don't worship Yahweh. Now, we may, like we don't feel that pressure of having to make bricks. We don't have that pressure today of having to go out and find straw and, and, and really, we don't have that feeling of being oppressed by tyranny and being worked harder and harder and being so you must worship and serve this. But at the same time, I wonder how many of us are enslaved to our jobs and our careers that we become so distracted by them that we never actually worship, but instead we worship our jobs. I wonder how many of us may be enslaved to social media that just distracts us from who God is, or how many of us may be enslaved to, to, to the news and the news articles and the paper and the things that are going around in the world today, or, or how many of us may be enslaved to our family and our children and their health and their success, that that's who we serve and work and worship rather than worshipping God. We can become so used to sin in our own lives that we forget the bondage that sin can have on our lives. Underlying this battle of increased affliction and tyranny is a bigger picture. There's a bigger picture here in this affliction and this tyranny of Israel. It's not just a sort of between Moses and Pharaoh. It's actually a much bigger picture because it's actually a battle between Yahweh, the Lord God, and Pharaoh, who represents the gods of Egypt, the many gods. So do you notice there's a bigger battle going on here? Did you notice that? Because there's a battle over words. It's not Moses says, it says, thus says Yahweh, thus says the Lord. And then what does Pharaoh say? Thus says Pharaoh, thus says Yahweh, thus says Pharaoh. There's this battle, there's, a, there's, there's something bigger going on here. So at the beginning of chapter 5, there's a sense of anticipation. But things are just getting darker and darker. But in, in this chapter, we, we learn who the Lord is. We get this slight little glimpse that we're going to start to get unpacked over the coming weeks. So, and we're going to see that these people will get redeemed. But at this point, life has got a lot harder, a lot worse. There's a, there's a book I like to read, there's a movie I like to watch, and it's called The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Now, it's C.S. Lewis. It's the Narnia series. If you've never watched it, if you've never read it, I encourage you, go and read it and go and watch it. It's sort of this great uh, story that, in a way, C.S. Lewis, he knows the gospel, he knows the Bible, that, in a way, he uses the imagery of Narnia to describe the battle that's going on everywhere. And in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, you have these four characters, Peter, Susan, Edward, and Lucy. Four characters who find this... This, this special world through the wardrobe. These four characters who end up in the land of, of Narnia. 
But Lucy and Edward, they get there first. And, and, and Lucy, she gets to encounter this, 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 this man who's, who tells about Aslan. But then Edward, he gets to encounter the wicked witch. See, Aslan, the lion, is like Jesus, and the wicked witch is like the, the devil. But there's a sense of good and evil going on. But then next thing, the other two come back into this world. They come into this, this, they walk through the wardrobe and Peter and Susan are there, Edward and, and Lucy are there. And what happens is, is the wicked witch finds out that this son of Eve, sorry, this son of Adam and this daughter of Eve, they've turned up and she's like, oh no, I'm going to have to oppress these people, kill them and get rid of them. So she sends the wolves out, she sends out these people to attack, you know, as Peter and Susan and Lucy and Edward, they're there with the badgers and, and they feel the heat that the wicked witch is out to get them. And what does, Ed, what does Edward do? He runs straight to the wicked witch. He's seeking comfort and the warmth of her castle because life has started to get a little bit harder. And life here is starting to get a lot harder for the Israelites. And what we're going to see now is that Moses has a ministry that is despised and rejected. A ministry that is despised and rejected. And we too, we can be tempted like Edward that when things are going tough that we seek the more comfortable option and the easier path. An easier path can be found. You know, we can get so excited about serving at youth but when it gets difficult, is there an easier path? You know, you've just become a Christian, you're excited and you sit around the, the kitchen table ready to tell your mom and your dad and your brothers and your sisters, I found Jesus, you need him and they just push back and say, don't you tell me anything about Jesus and they push back. And it can be easy, can't it, to, to retreat and go into that comfort. Sometimes we'll, we'll do things as a church to try and attract people, to make it more comfortable for them to pallet uh, the, the, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ rather than present the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It can be hard, can't it? As we face the heat, and that's what's happening here to Moses, for, for the Israelites, it's getting worse. It's not getting better, it's getting worse for them. It goes from bad to worse for the people of God. Have you ever heard that expression? It's adding insult to injury. It gets worse before it gets better. Why don't you hit a man while he's still down? So at the end of chapter 4, I think they're pumping. They're excited. What's God going to do? The elders are there. The people of God are there. They're believing. Get to verse 1. Who's there when they meet Pharaoh? Didn't God say to them, take the elders with you to go and meet Pharaoh? But no, it's only Moses and Aaron. Take the elders, and no one's there with them. And Pharaoh has this strategy, doesn't he? It's, it's a very strategic man. He has a strategy to drive a wedge. Isn't that the way to, to, to disunite people? Drive a wedge between the leader and the people. And so he works really hard to drive this wedge between Moses and Aaron and the elders, the foremen, and the people of God. Because see, it's interesting, isn't it? At the end of chapter 4, they've bowed their knees. But at the first sign of trouble, where do the foremen go? They don't bow the knee and pray to God. The first place they go is they go to Pharaoh and talk to Pharaoh. Hey, Pharaoh, what's going on? When things don't go our way, it's hard, isn't it? See, two men who are embraced at the end of chapter 4, by the end of chapter 5, they are rejected and despised. Did you notice that? 
have a look at the end of verse, have a look at verse, well, let's go to verse 19. The Israelites overseers realized they were in trouble when they were told, you, you are not to reduce the number of bricks required of you for each day. And when they left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them. Have a look, notice what they say to them. May the Lord look on you and judge you. You've made us obnoxious to Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in their hands to kill us. And to top it off, to top it off, what, are the, what do they say earlier to Pharaoh in verse 15? We're your servants to Pharaoh. See, it appears, doesn't it? It appears like round one. It appears like round one has gone to Pharaoh, not Moses. Moses is humiliated. Pharaoh is exalted. Moses is hopelessly powerless before Pharaoh. See, Moses isn't the hero of the story. See, as much as John McClane is the hero of Die Hard 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, as much as he is the hero of the story, here Moses is very evident he's not the hero. But what we're going to see is that God is the hero. See, what I think Exodus 5 reminds us is that Moses can't do it. He isn't the hero of the people. It reminds us that salvation belongs to Yahweh. That it will come about by no part of Moses being this incredible, intellectual, 80-year-old man who you know, looks like Chris Hemworth. That doesn't happen, does it? This chapter proves it. Because see, the worst thing we can do with the Bible is make us the hero and not God. And Moses is left despised and rejected. We get to the end of this chapter and it's not an... It's just gone from bad to really worse. But as you trace the, the, the history of the Bible, what do you see throughout the Bible? You see God's messengers constantly rejected and despised. It's littered with them. You know, even, even, go, to, even go to Genesis chapter 4 with Cain and Abel. Now that's not a messenger there, but you know, one worships God and is killed. Rejected and despised. It's littered everywhere. David, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, John the Baptist. But I want you to grab your Bibles. You need to go to your Bibles for a moment. Get, get your Bibles and go to Isaiah 53 if you've got it there in front of you. Go to Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53 verse 1. Now Isaiah is a prophet, he's speaking on behalf of God, but he speaks about a suffering servant. Who has believed our message? I don't know how often we feel like that. And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. He's not that kind of charismatic leader. He's not that kind of leader that we go, we all want to hang around and, and, and drink coffees and, and chat. Nothing in his appearance that we, we don't, he was, have a look at verse 3. This suffering servant, he was despised and rejected by mankind. 
a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their face. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our sin, our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed. Do you see this story of Moses? It isn't about us, it's about a greater Moses, the great I am Jesus. He is the great I am. Do you see that he was pierced for our transgressions? He was despised and rejected by mankind on the cross. We wanted nothing to do with Jesus. Now, isn't it interesting that Jesus was both God, he was both fully God and both fully man. He was perfect. Now you and me, we're not exactly perfect, right? We're a little bit rough around the edges. And so you and me, when we have a conversation with someone about Jesus or we try to talk about Jesus, we're a bit goofy, we're a bit awkward. You know, we might say some silly things. Our emotional intelligence won't be quite there on the spot. And so we say some silly things, right? But imagine this is Jesus. He's perfect. And yet the most perfect human being who is both God and both man, he is still rejected and despised by man. He was despised and rejected so that you and me would not be despised and rejected by a holy God. You know, that's what the gospel is, isn't it? We and you and me, all of us in this room, we should have experienced the wrath of a God who should have rejected us and despised us, but instead he humbled himself and was rejected and despised so that the God of the universe would not reject you and me. That's the gospel of the Lord Jesus. See, in Romans chapter 1, it tells us that all of us deserve the wrath of God because we've suppressed the truth. See, what's, what's Pharaoh doing? He's suppressing the truth. He suppresses the truth through his wickedness. And you and me, we suppress the truth and we too were ignorant of God until the light of God shone in our hearts. That's the most beautiful thing to know that the greater Moses that that was his ministry, he was rejected and despised so that we would not be rejected by God the Father. How beautiful is that? And what beauty there is in knowing that Jesus also says this in John chapter 15. He tells us, doesn't he? He's not saying, right, live your best life now. Isn't that wonderful that he tells us we're not living our best life now? Because if we're living, a, those who are living their best life now are those who are going to hell in the next life. Whereas for us, we've got a better life coming. And Jesus, he warns us, he actually is so loving. He says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. Here it is. If you think you are greater than Jesus, we know we're not greater than Jesus. He's saying, well, if you think the master's going to experience this, well, how much more are you going to experience it? They will treat you this way, verse 21 because of my name for they do not know the one who they sent me notice that they, they do not know my name that's an, an identity that's who he is for they are ignorant of it if I had come if I had not come and spoken to them they would not be guilty of sin but now they have no excuse for their sin whoever hates me hates my father as well it's not comforting that <laughs> the great I am says to us you know the reality is you're going to be despised and rejected 
but Jesus is really with us. See, Moses was despised and rejected, but here it is. In our doubt, we are not dismayed. So this is a passage that I think not only it's, it's starting to allude to who, who Yahweh is and starting to tell us we're going to be introduced to him, but at the same time, I think it helps us in ministry as we go about our business of making disciples that in our doubt, we are, dot, uh, we are not dis- dismayed. See, doubt is very different to unbelief. Pharaoh is ignorant. He has unbelief. But I think Moses here has a slight, here's a bit of doubt here in a moment. How do I know? Because when you have Old Testament narratives, the things that you put in and add tell us something. See, what I notice in this passage is these little hints of going, did Moses just say that? Because I can't remember God telling him to say that. There's a couple of spots where we know that Yahweh said, here Moses, here's what you've got to go and say. But then we get to verse 3 of chapter 5 and have a look at this. Now let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. Okay, I think, I think God said that. But look at the next line, who he may strike us with plagues, or he may strike us with plagues or with the sword. God never said that to Moses. It's like, almost like Moses has this moment of going, I have to do more. I'm not sure whether Pharaoh's going to listen, so you know what I'm going to say to Pharaoh? Guess what, Pharaoh? He's, he he, he, he's going to bring judgment down on us. But God never said for him to tell him that. Moses had doubt, and I think all of us have doubt as well, don't we? There's moments of great doubt. But don't be dismayed, because rejection is hard to take, isn't it? Rejection is something that's very hard to take in this world. You know, you, 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 you're interested in a young girl. You know, she's 21, and you've got affections for her, and you go and ask her out, and she says, no, that's rejection. That's, as a bloke, you start to doubt. You think, what's wrong with me? Don't I look not, you know, am I not cool enough? Do I not wear the right shoes? Rejection, is, it's hard, isn't it? Or it's, it's rejection as a girl's hard as well. Is it something about my looks and the way I look and the way I chat? Have they just rejected me for that? There's that idea of rejection that we hate in sporting teams, you know, when they have to pick the top 12 and you get left out. There's rejection for that, you know. There's even rejection in churches, you know what I mean? Like, there's just some things some of us aren't able to do in the life of the church. But I think there's one thing that's really hurtful as well, though, is if you're a parent or a grandparent, it feels hard when your child gets rejected. It's hard as a parent or a grandparent to see your kids go through rejection. And so what are we tempted to do as parents? We try to take that pain of rejection away we try to soften it we try to make sure they don't go into situations where they will be rejected we try to comfort them we try to do all these little things to prevent them having this experience of rejection but I think one of the best things we can do as parents and as people making disciples in this church is to tell us the reality that all of us if we follow Jesus we're going to be rejected and disciple them through it disciple each other through it that we will be despised we will be rejected because we follow Jesus and rejection, what does it do? It, just, it, it leads you to doubt, doesn't it? It leads you to doubt you. It leads you to doubt your abilities. It leads you to doubt your purpose. And it leads you to doubt God's purpose for you. And then what happens is it starts to lead to us doubting the power of the gospel. That we start to think that if we just have great music, people will be saved. right? But we, we start to doubt the power of the gospel. But the gospel says it's the power of God for salvation. How good's that? As we doubt that message, that we, as we share that message in those moments where you think, oh, is this really going to work? We're not dismayed because guess what? God works when we proclaim the gospel of the Lord Jesus. The power of the gospel saves people. See, last week I think RJ helped all of us so helpfully when he talked about the sovereignty of God and human responsibility. God is sovereign, he's in control over all things and yet how amazing is that he partners with us. And even though God's the hero, he works through rejected and despised people like you and me. 
And as we are rejected and as we start to doubt, may we not be dismayed. It's in our questioning that we find comfort. When the odds are stacked against us without even a glimmer of light at the end of the tunnel, we trust Jesus and we press on. See, they had light at the end of the tunnel, now there's no light. And John 15 reminds us to press on. And so what do we do? We pray the Lord's Prayer. Hallowed our Father who art in heaven. That's saying you're in heaven, you're above all things. Hallowed be your name. As we pray, hallowed be your name, we're saying... God, we want your name to be known. We want it to be honoured. We want every knee today to bow to you and recognise you for who you are. That's what it means to honour. What a wonderful prayer for us to pray. Hallowed be your name. See, it calls us to be patient on the mission. It calls us to have a quietness of heart so that in our doubt we are not dismayed. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. We pray that people will bow the knee. So today we've seen who the Lord is. We've suddenly get a glimpse. See, Pharaoh asks a sarcastic question because he thinks he's divine. We've seen a ministry that's been despised and rejected and ultimately we see that there's a greater Moses who is Jesus. But at the same time, we know that we'll be rejected. We know that there's going to be moments where we doubt. But in our doubt, we are not dismayed. There's a, there's a movie that I watch with my kids. We've watched it a few times. It's called Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. Now, by the title, you can guess what's just happened. See, Alexander's a young boy. Everything always goes wrong in his life. And he has this moment of anticipation. Tomorrow is his birthday. He's invited his friends from school. And they're going to come and have this big party. He wants to have an Aussie party, right? Because he likes Australia. But he's American. He loves Australia. So he wants to have this big party. But what happens the day out before? He finds out that the coolest kid at school has a party on the same time and every other kid has said no to him and they've said yes to this cool kid. Now the problem for Alexander is as well as his whole family just falls apart the next day. He, he comes to his birthday, a day that he anticipated for such a long time. He wakes up and everything goes south. His younger baby brother, the, the dummy, goes missing, so mum's not happy. Mum's got a book release that day, and it turns out really, really bad. Dad's got a new job, job interview. It's shocking. It goes terrible. His older brother wants to have a prom date, and she dumps him. The day just goes from bad to worse, and Alexander's just like, Ugh. there's no light at the end of the tunnel. But you know what? He anticipated a really good day, and it was a really terrible day. But like any good movie, well, how's it end? It ended with all his friends and a great big party. And he ended with a smile on his face. The day got harder and it got worse. It got way worse than before, but then they had a big party. Now, these Israelites, they're making mud bricks. Of all things, they're making mud bricks. And God rescues them. He saves them, and guess what they find themselves doing? Making a tabernacle out of gold and silver. Making a tabernacle out of gold and silver. We've been rescued. And maybe you feel like you're just making mud bricks and you're going out to find straw every day. It's like, man, it's just getting harder and harder and harder, but we have a new Jerusalem filled with gold and silver. 
May we fix our eyes on that. May we get on with business. Get on with business. Because Charles Spurgeon, he says this so helpfully about this passage. I am persuaded that Moses, after he'd got over his first little difficulties, was strong in faith. There he stood with the wondrous rod, turning waters into blood and slaying all their fish. Covering the heavens with blackness, turning the dust into living creatures, bringing hail and doing it all as calmly and quietly as he should do who feels that he is the voice of God. How steadily he kept at his work, with what diligence he persevered in it. Till at last the tenth plague found Moses unmoved, ready to conduct the people away to the Red Sea and to bring them out into the wilderness. O servants of God... Be calm and confident. Go on preaching the gospel. Go on teaching Sunday schools. Go on giving away the tracts. Go on with this steady perseverance because be sure of this. Ye shall not labour in vain or spend your strength for nothing. Do you stutter? Are you slow of speech? Nevertheless, go on. Have you been rebuked and rebuffed? Have you had little else but deaf ears? This is the way to success. Toil on and believe on let's get on with business because Jesus said for the joy set before him he endured the cross for your salvation so may we persevere for the joy of others salvation let's pray father we we anticipate we look forward to days where we see people love and serve and accept Jesus and say yes to him But Father, also Exodus reminds us that as we seek to serve you, as we seek to make disciples of Jesus, there are days that are dark and they even get darker. There's days where we will be despised and rejected. But Father, may we not lose hope. May we continually look to the greater one, the greater Moses, who ultimately was despised and rejected so you would not reject us. Father, thank you for your grace that overflows in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.